Liverpool Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. How are you, friend? Always a pleasure to have you joining us here on the Paul Leslie Hour. The interview on this episode was originally broadcast on the radio, WBCX 89.1 FM in Gainesville, Georgia. That radio station is how Bruce Birch and I more or less met. There was an article appearing in the Times newspaper, which serves Northeast Georgia, and Bruce Birch got in contact with me. When we first met, I remember, it was like meeting a kindred spirit. I think we intended to meet for about an hour, and we ended up talking for like four hours. We were listening to CDs. He was telling me about this songwriter. I was telling him about this songwriter. We were going back and forth, trying to find songs that one another would like. I don't know if I've ever met anybody who has a bigger passion for songs than Bruce Birch does. He likes everything related to songwriting, and in terms of this show, he's one of the biggest supporters of it. Anytime I've landed a landmark interview with one of the great songwriters of our time, music to my ears are the occasions when Bruce listens to the interview and gives me some feedback. Hopefully he likes it. Bruce, if you're listening to this, I can't express enough, and I don't express enough, how much your support has meant to me through the years. There have been times, of course, I've thought about hanging it up. It's a lot of work. But then something pulls me back to it, and a lot of times it's Bruce Birch. He's known in the world of academia. At the time of this interview, he was at Bernal University. He also worked at Kennesaw State University. He's a songwriter himself. He's written for the likes of George Jones, Reba McIntyre, Wayne Newton, and he's the director of the John Gerard Foundation. John Gerard, a great songwriter who has since passed away, was a very good friend of Bruce's. They have this annual concert that they do every single year in Gainesville around this time of year, and it's in kind of memory of John Gerard, I guess you could say, a tribute to him. They have great songwriters come out and perform their songs. This year, it's the 18th annual. You can find out more information at johngerardfoundation.com. It's going to be September 28th at 8 p.m. at the Bernal University Front Lawn. Until then, I hope you enjoy my interview with Bruce Birch. Who is Bruce Birch? Well, Bruce Birch, first and foremost, is a songwriter. Uh, that's what got me in the music business and what, uh, probably I made more money doing that than anything in the music business. Uh, I have become, uh, through when, when, when the money quit coming in so much as a songwriter, I moved over to the business side and became a music publisher and, uh, worked for the amount of music publishing when one of the biggest companies, uh, which now has just been, uh, bought by Sony ATV. But uh, that moved me into that direction, and then I got into academia uh, over at the University of Georgia, and since then, Kennesaw State, and now at Bernal University, teaching music business. So, But but first and foremost, the thing that got me there, the thing that I'm just uh, still in love with is songwriting. I think most stories are best from the beginning. What was life like growing up? Well, I grew up in Gainesville, Georgia, uh, uh, poultry capital of the world. 
And uh, my dad was in the poultry industry, so I, I spent a lot of time in chicken houses. I always say now that uh, no matter how much uh, poop I have to walk through in the music business, it could never top the poop I walked through in the, <laughs> in the poultry industry. So, uh, you know, I grew up there and uh, uh, loved music always. I was a big Beatles fan. Obviously, you know, everybody that grew up in the 60s was and, uh, and Rolling Stones and, and, and really didn't listen to country music uh, until um, until college age, you know, so... Um, uh, but it was always music was involved. You know, I loved music from the time I, even though I didn't play and didn't sing growing up. What got you hooked on country music? Chris Christopherson. Chris Christopherson, I think when I first heard him, it was like, uh, even though the guy was not a great singer, not a great guitar player, uh, but just an amazing writer. And, and I, I, you know, I had started, I'd always been into poetry and, uh, and he was the first guy who I think put poetry into country music. Maybe not the first guy, but he's the guy that, uh, sort of became the, the, the guy who carried that, that flag of the brought, brought, kind of put Bob Dylan and mixed him with Johnny Cash. And then, you know, the, the rest is history. Tell us about the song for the good times. That song is the reason I, I'm in the music business. Uh, I, I heard it. I had uh, broken up with a girlfriend. I had quit. I'd gone to East Tennessee State University to play football my freshman year. I had quit football, so I'd lost my two loves of my life. Uh, I had lost, and so it was just I was feeling a sense of loss when I heard that song, and it hit me. It, it just like it was when I heard Chris Christopherson singing that song when I walked in an apartment one night. It was like uh, he was singing my life, and it, it drew me in to, like I said, what country songs, the best country songs, you feel like they're singing your life. And that's what I always, when I, when I look for a great country song, that's what I look for in it. Tell us about the first song you wrote. That would have been uh, a song about my grandmama. I, I, like I said, I'd been listening to Chris Christopherson and, uh, and Mickey Newberry and a lot of, I started listening to some other writers and the next thing you know, I pick up a guitar and began writing and, and the first thing that popped out was a song about my grandma. We'd come, we'd been up to visit her and came back and I wrote a song called, uh, uh, Grandma Mackie. And, uh, and it's, and I've probably written more songs about my, uh, other than, other than a woman. I've probably written more songs about grandparents, family, than anything else. You know, I think that's sort of been a theme that's recurred throughout my my career as a songwriter. You mentioned Chris Christopherson. What songwriters have influenced you the most? Well, definitely Chris Christopherson. Uh, Mickey Newberry early on. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Uh, he wrote, uh, just dropped in to see what condition my condition was in and uh, put an American Trilogy together. Um Towns Van Zant and Guy Clark, you know, or two of John Prine, uh, more more of the folk country artist. Uh, and then I got into the once I got into country music, I mean, guys like Bob McDill, uh, guys like uh, Harlan Howard, uh, you know, the simplicity of country music, uh, you know, the writers, the pure country writers, not so much the artist writers. How did you feel the first time a song you wrote was recorded by an artist? Well, the first time it was recorded, it didn't, uh, was one by Slim Pickens, the character actor, you know, that, uh, he, and it never got released. It was called its own. I was, I was running, running a hot dog shop at the time and I chopped onions every day. And one of the, I wrote a song called It's Only These Onions That's Making Me Cry. And because I was, you know, I was, when I chopped the onions, I would tear up, you know, and it was kind of a comedy song. 
Well, Slim cut the song, and it never got released. So it, it was disappointment the first time my first song got recorded. But the good news about that is he recorded one other song out of the a Combine Music Catalog, which is where my song was published by, and that was a Chris Christopherson song. So I took it as a sign that even though that song had not was not released to the general public, nobody ever heard it. I never even heard it, his version of it. Uh, because he cut a Chris Christopherson song, I took it as a sign that I was meant to keep doing it. And that, so that's, that song getting recorded probably meant more to me than just about any other song I ever had recorded because it, it was at a point in time when I was just about ready to give up. And even though I didn't have any financial success with that song, it gave me the, you know, the passion to keep going on, you know. I thought, well, maybe I can do this, you know. But you never heard the song. Never heard the song, not that he recorded, no. You know, I still do it uh, when I play out. I do it live because I always tell that story about uh, I didn't even get to meet him. I was was busy. I was still working my job at the hot dog shop. And so when he was in recording, I was working all day, so I didn't get to meet him. But one of the pluggers, song pluggers that had gotten that song recorded, went over there, met him, and said, you know, Slim, this is this boy's first cut he's ever had. And he says, if you remember Slim Pickens, how he, how he talked, he said, well, he's dang sure starting at the bottom. And um, <laughs> sure enough, I was starting at the bottom. But it was, uh, it, was a, it was a real, like I say, the first song that I ever had recorded that got released was by the Oak Ridge Boys back on one of their very first Christmas album. And that's the one that I guess made me realize I can do this because I actually got to, when I got recorded, I got to go to the bank and get a $15,000 loan against earnings to come in. And that could have been $150,000 at that particular time. I mean, it meant so much to me to, to know that I could make that kind of money writing songs that I knew then I was, I was going to be a lifer, you know, is what I call a lifer in the music business is somebody that never, you know, is going to figure out a way to make a living at it for the rest of it, my life. And that's what I did. When you heard that song that the Oak Ridge Boys recorded, was it on an album or was it on the radio? When was the first time you heard it? First time I heard it was just, uh, yeah, on an album. Uh, it, it got played. It got a good bit of radio play, though, over the years. The beauty about Christmas songs that you, I don't know if you've inter- interviewed any guys that have written big Christmas hits. This wasn't a big hit, but it still gets played to this day because Christmas songs come back year after year after year, you know? Right. I mean, I used to talk to the guy whose dad, I think, wrote, uh, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. When I was at EMI, they published that song, and I used to talk to the the son of the guy who wrote that every year he would call and ask who recorded that song who recorded the song this year and sure enough every year it would get re-recorded and of course got you know uh, unbelievable amounts of airplay so the the guy who wrote that son is still living on that song you know tell us about the song you wrote rumor has it rumor has it was my first number one and that was that will always be a special song because of that It, it it got recorded uh several times before Reba McIntyre recorded it. Uh, it got recorded by uh, Freddie Hart. It got recorded by Ricky Skaggs and Tammy Wynette. But they never, uh, I think Freddie Hart released it, but Tammy didn't ever release it. And uh, and Ricky Skaggs never released it. And so thank goodness uh, when Reba recorded it, uh, it, it came out and not only was it a hit number one single, it was also the title of the album. And that really sort of put me on the map as a songwriter. Uh, I mean, I had had a couple of top tens before that, but this was having a number one, you know, definitely puts you on the map. What song of the songs you've written are you the most proud of? 
probably a song called Wine Into Water that T. Graham Brown, a guy named T. Graham Brown, who I knew from Georgia, uh, we co-wrote that song together with a guy named Ted Hewitt. And that song has probably affected more lives than any song. It's a, it's about a, it's basically a recovery song, you know. And they used it in, I mean, I don't know, uh, how many people have come up and told me that, that have been in AA or treatment, you know, that, 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 uh, for, uh, substance abuse that they use that song in there. And, and so it's, it's, uh, I think it's saved a few lives. So that, that's been a really meaningful song to me. And it's, and it's probably, if not my best song, it's definitely up there in, my top five best songs I've ever written. You recorded another song, The Last Resort. T. Graham did. Yeah, The Last Resort was a top five record, my first top five record. And that was a special song because, I mean, it was the first top five. And T. Graham was so good to me. I mean, he recorded, I think, eight songs that we either wrote or actually I think we co-wrote all of them. And uh, he was... Uh, guy from georgia you know we had become friends and and uh he sort of gave me the that song sort of put me on the map i guess it got me in the top 10 and opened a lot of doors for me so uh i'll always be indebted to him and he's such an amazing singer still to this day sings i mean he's my age which is i'm 59 i think he's got to be about he may be a little younger than i am but he still sings like a 20 year old you know you've written with the late Dobie gray Yes. What wow. are your memories of writing with him? Toby was, uh, boy, talking about a singer now. Uh, he was probably, the, I don't know if he would say he was the best singer, but he definitely, I used to get chill bumps writing with him just because he sang so beautifully. And we wrote one song in particular called, uh, it's not because it, we, it's not because we didn't try that I still think, uh, it's not been a hit for anybody. It's, uh, Pam Tillis recorded it one time, but it never, it never, uh, got released. I get a lot of those songs that don't get released, it seems like, you know, but, uh, I still think that song has got life left in it. And, uh, Dobie was a, he was a special person too. He had a lot of soul, uh, probably the most soulful guy I ever wrote with. There's a song you wrote that was recorded by Billy Joe Royal. Mm -hmm. What was the inspiration behind Out of Sight and On My Mind? Out of Sight and On My Mind. Uh, I had that title and uh, ended up writing it with yeah. Rick Peoples. And Rick and I, I'd be honest with you, when we wrote the song, I thought it was okay. I didn't think it was a great song. I thought it had a good feel to it. And we demoed it. The demo came out really good. And uh, But Rick and I never wrote another song. We wrote that one song together, and it came out and was a top ten hit. And, of course, Billy Joe Royal... I'd grown up listening to Billy Joe Royal, so it was a big thrill to get a song recorded by him because he's such a great singer, and that was like a 50s kind of song, and I was really into the whole 50s music scene too, so it, it, that was a, a pretty special song. Yeah, I still like that one. It had to have been incredible when George Jones recorded wow. a song yeah. he wrote. Yeah, that song has been recorded now three times. T. Graham, I wrote it with T. Graham Brown and Bruce Bowden. Bruce Bowden is a songwriter, but he's also a great steel guitar player. And we wrote Last Resort together as well, for T. Graham and Bruce and I. And uh, George, yeah, uh, when T. cut that song, he did a great job on it. Uh, Trisha Yearwood, by the way, sang the demo, which you ought to hear the demo. It's really great, too. And, uh, and then to get George Jones to record it. And then it just got recently recorded. Somebody heard it on a George Jones album and took it uh, uh, and recorded it. And that was Gene Watson and Rhonda Vincent. And their version is great. So I've been lucky on that song. That's the, like I say, that's 
three times it's been recorded and and I say it's still Trisha Yearwood's version is right up there. I wish I wish we could get her to record it because she did such a great job on the demo. I think we paid her forty dollars. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Speaking of Gene Watson, he recorded "I Catch Myself." Yeah. What was yeah. the inspiration behind that one? That song I wrote by myself, which is something I rarely do. Uh, I went through a little period there where I just took some time and, and sat back and wrote by myself, and I wrote uh, that song, which got recorded by Gene Watson, and another song called I Was Losing You that got recorded, it's been recorded four times by Wayne Newton. Uh, I can't remember who else has recorded it, but but uh, I, I don't know. That one came pretty much straight out of it. It just fell out of me. I didn't start. Usually I start with a title. And I didn't start with a title. I just started with the first line and uh, and worked down. And then when I got to the title, it, it was a hook. I catch myself falling in love is what the, the kind of the hook was. And I didn't have, but I didn't have that originally. That's the first time I've ever come up with kind of a hook, writing. You know, uh, in the middle of the song, the hook just kind of came out. And that usually you start with a hook, and I, or usually I start with a hook, and. Uh, and then went by a hook, I mean a title or something, you know. And, and in that case, I didn't. So that that was a, a rare occasion. And then a rare occasion I wrote by myself. I should do it more often because I really think you write a different kind of song by yourself than you do when you co-write. Uh, I'm not saying it's a better song I write by myself, but it's just usually more heartfelt. You know, it's not as uh, it's not been edited down as much sometimes, I think. When you wrote the song, You Can't Keep a Good Memory Down, that John Anderson recorded. John Anderson, yeah. was, did the title come first on that one? title did come first. I had that title. There's an interesting story behind that song. I wrote it with a guy named Roger Murrah and uh, his brother, Michael Murrah. And uh, Roger was a guy who had had several hits already. He would already, was a pretty hot songwriter at the time. I was still waiting tables at Houston's restaurant, and Roger used to come in and I'd wait on him. Well, Roger drank iced tea, uh, a lot of iced tea, and so I'd just keep his iced tea glass full. And so one day, after I'd been waiting on him, I'd never told him I was a songwriter. And Roger uh, figured it out, though, because I kept his iced tea glass so full and probably ignored some of my other customers because I was being so attentive to Roger. And he said, you're, he says, you're a songwriter, aren't you? And I said, yeah, how'd you know? And he said, I can just kind of tell that you were, you know, you spent a lot of time waiting on me. <laughs> And I said, yeah, uh, I am. And he said, well, you've been such a good waiter. He said, let's write a song next week. And so I went over and we wrote that next week. We wrote, that was the first song we wrote. So that was my first top 40 record. So I always tell people that I got my first top 40 song, not by being a great songwriter, but by being some a good waiter and keeping somebody's iced tea glass full. And I tell my students a lot of times, you know, even if you're working a menial job, you never know who you're going to meet through yeah. that menial job, you know, and, and that might be the person that, you know, gets you to that next level. So always remember that when you're out there waiting tables or running a hot dog shop or being a desk clerk, which are all the jobs I had in Nashville <laughs> before I was able to make a living writing full time. What about my train of thought? That was uh, a song I wrote with a guy named Michael Woody, who was, uh, uh, we, that was the only thing that we ever had recorded together, I think. But Barbara Mandrell uh, recorded it and she was pretty hot. It was a top 20 song. And uh, it was uh, just an honor to get a song recorded by her because at this particular time, Barbara had been on national TV and probably 
took country music, I think was probably the first female artist to take country music to the level, the national level like that. You know, Johnny Cash had had a TV show, and I think Roger Miller had had a summer, and Glenn Campbell had had a TV show. But as far as I know, Barbara Mandrell might have been the first country artist to have her own TV show, the Barbara Mandrell Show, the Mandrell Sisters, I believe. can't remember exactly, but... but uh, she was an icon, and uh, and was so nice too. Uh, I got to meet her and get a picture made with her and stuff, and just was such a nice lady. And I always uh, will remember that song because she did such a great job on it too. A lot of the artists that have recorded your songs are country singers, mm-hmm. but we can't leave out the great Wayne Newton. Wayne, man, Wayne who recorded your song. I get a call from a guy named Rhubarb Jones, who is a DJ, a Hall of Fame DJ, uh, or a radio personality, as they call him now, uh, as they call you now. <laughs> and uh, Rhubarb said he was good friends with Wayne, and he said, uh, man, Wayne Newton's looking for some songs. Why don't you send me some, and I'll send him. He, he, he called me and asked me to help him find some songs, and I told him I'd call some of my songwriter friends. So I sent Rhubarb the tape, and uh, he sent it on out to uh, Wayne, and Rhubarb calls me back about a week later and says, man, Wayne loves three of those songs you sent him. And I thought, okay, sure, great. Maybe I'll end up with maybe one song getting recorded if I'm lucky, you know. Well, he said, send me some more. So I sent Rhubarb some more songs, and he calls me back about a week later and says, man, Wayne likes two more of these songs. He's coming to town in a few weeks, and he's going to record, and he's going to cut record five of your songs. And I said, well, I still thought, oh, there's no way that'll happen. He maybe probably ended up recording one of them, you know. But he went in, and not only did he go in, they called me up and, I, and invited me down to the studio. So I, even though I'm not a producer at all, I sort of got to chime in on the songs. And he recorded all five of those songs. And I went on to write a couple more songs with Wayne on another for another project he was doing and got to know him. And, and uh I'll tell you, he, speaking of nice people, he is one of the nicest guys I've ever met as far as an, as an artist, you know. And, and when my mama passed away this past, uh, August, I get a call one day from all the people I've known in the music business at that level. You know, I didn't hear from anybody, but Wayne Newton called me and, and told me I was, he was sorry to hear about me losing my mama. And I kept that tape because that was meant so much to me. And he's, uh, he's a special person. He really is. And a great talent, amazing. I mean, obviously, one of the greatest entertainers of all time. And, uh, you know, people, a lot of people make fun of Wayne Newton, but I'll tell you what, it's, I'm proud to have those songs recorded. And, uh, he actually did one of them on, uh, Roseanne's show. Yeah. Uh, wow. Yeah. Got, uh, I know so. And, uh, and that was a pretty good, had a pretty good run on TV and, and made, made some pretty good, uh, royalties. Let's talk about another songwriter. Let's talk about John Gerard. Wow. John Gerard uh, and I grew up together, uh, as I've told you, and uh, here in Gainesville, Georgia. And John and I both got into country music at the same time, and one we didn't even realize it. I used to see him at country concerts, but we didn't realize that each other had both started writing songs until one night he stops in out. Of, I'm working as a desk clerk out of the Days Inn here in Gainesville, Georgia, and uh, he. Uh, he stops in out there to see me, and I have my guitar behind the desk, and he said, What's, what are you doing with the guitar back there? And I said, well, I, I play and write a little bit, you know. And he said, well, I do too. And so I said, you're kidding. I didn't, we didn't have any, no, I didn't, had no idea that 
you know, we'd grown up together and, and both went to the University of Georgia, but neither one of us had any idea because he wasn't real musical either. I'm, you know, like I said, like I said, I was not a musical person, you know, growing up. He wasn't either. And we both got into country music and started writing songs. And so we sort of fed each other's fire. In fact, we recorded our first demos down there and in in we, we had, we had, uh, figured out that, you know, it's always said, uh, bathroom was the nearest thing to recording studio if you were going to record so we we got us a real to real player and we went down and set up in the days in bathroom and that's where we recorded our first demos and they're god awful sounding but they you know it we fed each other's fires what i always said and and after i moved to nashville first he moved up there about eight months later and he would always say you know you're the reason i moved to nashville and i'd always tell him i said well you're the reason i stayed because he had had, you know, he had great success. He had 11 number one songs, and uh, I always felt like I was trying to catch up to him, you know, because I, he he got he he did such a uh, amazing had such an amazing career, and also the guy was, uh, you know, had a lot of physical ailments that to held him back, and he still was able to have 11 number one songs. He was a childhood diabetic, and so he had lost his sight. Uh, he had, uh, he lost his sight after he moved to Nashville, as a matter of fact. Uh, he ended up losing, uh, his, uh, he had a pink kidney and pancreas transplant. Uh, he ended up having parts of his fingers, uh, removed and then had both legs removed at the knee, uh, before he passed on about 10, well, it's been 12 years, 10, 11 years ago, I believe now, 11, almost 12 years ago now. And, but, to, to be able to achieve all that he achieved with that was a true inspiration, not only to me, but to, you know, hundreds of songwriters in Nashville that, that, that he's, that's why we're so glad to be able to have this concert that we have in his name here in Gainesville, Georgia now and, and, uh, to keep his memory alive because he was truly a, a unique and amazing human being, you know. Well, tell us a little bit about this concert. It's going to be on September 15th. Yes, we have it every year in the fall. We we do this concert. We call it just the John Gerard concert. He and I used to do uh, some benefits down here when he was alive, and uh, when after he passed away, they asked me to keep on doing these benefits. And I told him, I said, well, the only way I'll do it is if we dedicate it to John, call it the John Gerard concert, and we donate it to the causes that John supported while he was alive, which were Boys and Girls Club. Uh, Good News at Noon, which is a homeless uh, food program. Uh, Good News at Noon Clinic, which is a homeless medical program. Uh, and then we've gone on and given to some other charities now because we've, we've, we've made, we've raised over a million dollars in the 10 years we've been doing this, this concert. But it started out just real small. I mean, we had 30 tables of eight people, I think. So we had like 250 people at the very first one. And, uh, and now we have about 1,200 that show up every year. And, and uh, we bring down songwriters from Nashville. And it's a songwriter show, which is unusual because it's not a headliner. Usually, I mean, we don't really have a big, you know, Garth Brooks or anybody like that coming down. I mean, we usually have just songwriters. And people have really grown to love the show. Uh, like I said, the, the community supports it uh, amazingly here in Gainesville, Georgia. Uh, and that's one thing I said when we decided to do it too. I said, well, I want to name this thing after John and I want to have the right people involved. And we obviously got the right people involved because it's, it's, it's just been a huge success every year. And, and, uh, we've now, 
started a thing called First Verse, which is a songwriting program that we're trying to go into schools and teach uh, kids how to, you know, write songs because it's such a songwriting is such a great way to learn the language. I know I know I would use a dictionary probably more than I ever did after I started writing songs, you know, and learned just so much about the language, you know, and, uh, and, and just discipline, you know, the writing of how writing songs is such a discipline and a, and a, and a craft, you know, I think it really teaches you patience and, and, uh, sort of like putting together crossword puzzles, I guess, you know, in a certain way. But, um, but, but we've done all this to try to keep John's memory alive and, 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 and to carry it on and to keep songwriting, to, to, to make songwriting, make people realize that there are songwriters out there. It's not just about the artist, you know, that, that, Songwriters are the, I mean, the, they're the lifeblood of this industry. You know, I still think even now when so many artists are writing their own songs, still to me, the best songs come from the pure, what I call pure songwriters, you know, that, that aren't necessarily singers, you know, aren't necessarily performers, but they are the guys like the Johnny Mercers, the, the Irving Berlins, you know, the Cole Porters, you know, that never really were known as performers so much, but were really more so known as writers. And I, I hope we can keep that. That's one, that's one of our goals for the John Gerard Foundation too, is to, is to point out that fact. And I think we've been, a, we've done a pretty good job of it because we, uh, like I say, it just keeps, it continues to grow every year. So this is going to be September 15th, yes. 2012 at the Campus Green, Bernal University. Yes. Tell us about some of the songwriters that are going to be there. Well, we've got uh, Jim Collins coming, who is, uh, he wrote uh, Big Green Tractor for Jason Aldean. He wrote, she thinks my tractor's sex- sexy for Kenny Chesney. So he's had a lot of luck with tractor songs. <laughs> he also has written it's a lot, several other songs for Kenny Chesney, and he just had a big hit this last year with, uh, uh, oh, I can't think of the name of the group he had, but Are You Going to Kiss Me or Not? Uh, big country record this last year it was probably the most played song of the year by Thompson Station, I believe it was. Is the name of that duo? Uh, and then we're having Jeffrey Steele, who was probably had more songs recorded in the last ten years than any songwriter in Nashville. Again, I'm not as, as familiar with all his songs, but Jeffrey will be there. We'll have uh, if you Google Jeffrey Steele, you can you can see uh, his number of songs up. I know he did write. Uh, uh, Big Rascal Flats thing. Uh, oh, wait, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the title. But anyway, we're going to have uh, Tony Arada, who wrote The Dance, among many other hits he's had, and a guy named Fred Noblock, who has not had that many hits, but Fred is one of those writers who's had a lot of songs recorded, and he's one of those writers that's just a great per- performer writer. You know, uh, some writers are not such great performers, but this Fred is, and he's he's coming down to... Uh, because he was a big John fan and friend. And uh, so we've got, that's the four we've got nailed down. We'll probably have some others that we'll announce in the next few weeks, but uh, but we're really looking forward to this uh, this year. I think it's going to be another great year. What is the website for the John Gerard Foundation? It's www.johngerard, and that's J-O-H-N-J-A-R-R-A-R-D, Foundation. Dot com. That's johngerardfoundation.com. And uh, if you can go there and check up, you can get the updates and uh, who's going to be there as we announce. Uh, we're, we're still two months out, so we're, we're going to nail it down in the next couple of weeks of who all we're going to have there. But you can go to that website and, and see more, learn more about the songwriters. I obviously didn't prepare 
to tell you about the song titles today, except for <laughs> sorry about that. That's okay. What is the best thing about being Bruce Birch? Ooh, I can tell you a lot of reasons not to be Bruce Birch, but I must say the best thing about getting to be Bruce Birch is I've gotten to meet all my heroes. Not all my heroes, but I've gotten to meet a lot of my heroes. I mean, I I got to meet Chris Christopherson, you know, uh, and, and get to know him and pitch his songs uh, when I worked at EMI. And I told him one time, I said, you know, you're the reason I'm in the music business. He says, don't blame that crap on me. <laughs> you know, uh, if you know Chris and his voice, I, to hear him say that. But he, uh, I got to meet Tony Joe White. You know, I've gotten to meet Wayne Newton. I mean, I've gotten to meet just a lot of people that I never dreamed I would meet. You know, uh, Reba McIntyre, or Barbara Mandrell. I mean, and, it's, and it still goes on. I mean, even today, I mean, I meet, you know, I'm trying to think of somebody I've met that, that just blown me away, but there's meeting a lot of my musical heroes. And I think, you know, uh, and I got, Oh, and I got it. Johnny Cash actually did a, uh, on a Colin Ray song. I had recorded one time. Johnny Cash actually did a narration part on the front end. We had written a narration part of it and he actually did that. So I can sort of say I had a Johnny Cash cut, you know, and <laughs> I guess, you know, cool. I mean, uh, that's the best thing about being Bruce Birch is that I've gotten to make a living in music and the music business. And, uh, it has not always been easy. You know, I mean, I always say I did not have the talent. But I definitely had the desire and the drive and the, the determination and the, the uh, perseverance, I think, more than anything. And people that I tell songwriters, I always like to say the thing that really is the most, I think the mo- best talent you can have is if you want to be a songwriter is perseverance. Because it took me seven years to give up my full-time job as a, running a hot dog shop. And then it took me another three years to give up my part-time job of waiting tables and, and along with being a desk clerk in early years that I was in Nashville, the early first year I was in Nashville. So I did a lot of things to be able to do what I wanted to do. I did a lot of things I didn't necessarily like doing to be able to do what I wanted to do. And so, um, it's paid off. Uh, even though sometimes it's, you know, the music business can be a grind and it can, it can see it's tough. It's a tough life sometimes. Uh, if you can ask anybody, they'll tell you that it's it, especially uh, for your wife and family. If you have those, uh, it, it can not. It's not always easy being around a songwriter or living the songwriter life. But I don't regret any of it ever. You know, because I've gotten to do all that, and that's the best thing about being Bruce Burr. You've been involved. Well, more than involved. Been a very big part of the John Gerard Foundation. You've taught people about music business. You've written songs. You've plugged songs. A lot of people have crossed paths. Some of them we know, and then there's countless others. Some of them are going to be listening to this interview. And then there's other people who are going to be listening that haven't met you yet. Mm -hmm. What do you want to say to all the folks who are listening in, whether they're listening on the radio or they're listening on the Internet? Well, um... I guess the best thing I can tell you, the best piece of advice I can give anybody is, 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 is whatever their dream is, is if you're going to do it, is to, you know, believe in it enough to, to, to give it time because it definitely, dreams don't happen overnight. I mean, anybody that you see that's doing what they want to do, whether it's being a songwriter or, or, you know, running a big company or whatever, it takes time to work your way to that position. And they didn't get there overnight. And, uh, I guess that's, my daddy um, never had a lot of success as a business person, but he was really a hardworking man, and my mama too. And uh, that's what I learned from them is just to, to 
work hard and, 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 and try to keep believing in yourself, even when you don't necessarily believe in yourself, you know, fake it till you make it, you know, um, I just really believe that that's the thing that, that I can, that I, my life has been about is, is, is because I've struggled in, 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 in the music business at times and, and, but it's to keep going and to keep believing in yourself, uh, even when you don't <laughs> sometimes, you know, is it, to, just to just to try to keep the perseverance and, and, uh, and, uh, sticking to it and to you, to you can be successful, you know, and, and success is, that's the other thing I've learned is success is there's varying levels of success and you got to find success in the little things because, uh, that's what, you know, like now, my success now for me is having two grandkids, you know, and that to me is when I see them, that's the thing I'm the most proud of. I mean, more so than my songs or anything. And, and, uh, that's the thing that I'm still learning, you know, is that I'm 59 years old. I'm still learning a lot about life and, uh, things like that, that the things that really matter, you know, and, uh, or, and success is, is a, is a term that changes as you grow older. Well, Bruce Birch, it's been a great pleasure. Absolutely. Pleasure to me too, Paul, as always. All Good right. to see you, buddy. Thank you. Goodbye.